Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> it's good to be with uh, everyone. It's, uh, it's getting a little more crowded in here. I like that. My preacher's math says that there's about 200 of us here this morning, <laughs> and it's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to start with a, uh, a passage from Jeremiah 6.16. It's been sitting on my desk for weeks and weeks, and um, I, I thought now is the time to bring it out as we're thinking about our trek together. We're journeying together uh, still, uh, and we're on our way to Jerusalem. If you don't recall, uh, we are uh, both in the series uh, of Lent, but we're, we're singing these songs of ascents together. Uh, we're in the Psalms, and as we uh, journey, much like the Israelites of old, uh, they would sing these songs on their way to Jerusalem, on their way uh, to the holy place. And, um, and this uh, passage uh, has, has really stuck with me, and it, I'll just read it. It says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. This is my prayer uh, through this whole thing, is that we together are finding uh, the good way, that we are finding these ancient paths, that together we are walking, that we are journeying toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, yes, but definitely toward Easter Sunday, and the resurrection, and what comes beyond. Uh, this morning, I'm just going to start with uh, some honesty and say that uh, this is a tough sermon for me. Uh, I don't know that I would have picked it if I got to pick. Uh, sometimes I pick my, uh, my passages, um, and I get to do whatever I want. Uh, because we're in this series through the Songs of Ascents, there's a sense in which this has been uh, chosen for me. Uh, by uh, <laughs> a casting of dice uh, or a lot or wh whatever you want to say. Uh, and it's a, it's, uh, a tough one. Um, I'm going to do my best to get through it. Uh, and I promise uh, if you stick with me through the whole thing, I do believe it ends uh, on a high note. If you uh, read uh, or know Psalm 23, uh, Psalm 23 takes us down into the valley of the shadow of death, but it doesn't keep us down there, does it, right? Psalm 23 gets us to a much higher place, and it gets us at God's table in the, the presence of his goodness and his mercy, and it gets us dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And this is, is too, where, where this sermon will end. So if you start to despair halfway through, just... Again, stick with me. Uh, we'll get to the good parts. Let's begin with a, a word of prayer. God, our Father, <clears throat> Almighty, uh, you made this earth, and you made the heavens, and you put us here for a reason. And you've given us the gift of life and the goodness that is life. 
And Lord, we know that it's mixed uh, with the goodness that you give and then all that other stuff that somehow gets in there as well. Lord, I pray this morning as we reflect on some of that other stuff that, uh, that you convict us, that you speak your truth to each of us as individuals, that you pierce our souls and our hearts, that you get past our mind, which becomes a barrier sometimes and a protection for the heart, and that you go straight for the heart. That, as we sang, that we might give more of ourselves to you. Here's my heart, O oh God. I pray that it, that is our prayer this morning, all of us. We're grateful for, for a God who forgives, a God who has mercy, who continues to pour out his goodness and lavish his love on us. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, before we get started, go ahead and open to Psalm uh, 129. This is the passage for today. Uh, largely, I'm just going to read uh, Psalm 129 and, uh, and spend some time verse by verse here. Uh, this may be a bit of a different sermon than I, uh, or at least a style than I often preach, uh, a little more extemporaneous. I've got a few notes here and there because I can't not do that, uh, but... Uh, uh, my notes are largely the scripture itself. Um, there's a few ways we could take this passage. It begins this way, greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. And um, reading through like commentaries and stuff, uh, there's, uh, of course, uh, we could envision a, a true like battle scene here or somebody who's writing this song is, indeed has been uh, punished by uh, some other person or some other group of people, uh, or probably more likely, uh, this is the story of Israel. This is one way uh, I've heard it uh, cast, is uh, what we're uh, revisiting here is, is uh, the story of Israel's youth. And, and you think there uh, of uh, like the Egyptians, uh, they were afflicting Israel in their youth. And then later on, it's, it's the Philistines or the Hittites or the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Romans or you know, whoever it is, like they, they are an afflicted people. Uh, and so you could march through history and, and read it this way, but that's not what I want to do this morning. I actually think the New Testament teaches us to read this passage um, in a different sort of way. And the first question to get out of the way is, who is our enemy? Because the enemy uh, is, uh, is what shows up a lot in here. And just to cut to the chase, because uh, I don't want this to go too long, uh, I, I think the enemy is, um, as uh, Ephesians 6 says, is not flesh and blood. It, it's not the Hittites. It's not Assyria or Babylonia. It's not Russia. It's not, you know, whoever, right? Uh, the, uh, the enemy um, is the powers uh, of darkness and evil. It's the power of sin that exists in, in your life. It's the, um, well, as uh, we read in our, our New Testament passage for today from, from 1 Corinthians, there's, there's one last enemy that needs to be defeated. That's the exact language Paul uses, and it's death. Death is that final enemy that needs to be defeated, right? And so as we think about the enemy in this passage, uh, I need you to personalize it this morning. 
I need you to draw up from your own history, and so each of us come at this differently, what is that enemy that, as the psalmist says, has greatly afflicted you from your youth? Psalm 129, verse 1, a song of ascents. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. He says it twice, (laughs) right? Um, Last week, or maybe it was the week before, I had somebody come to me and say, wow, thanks, Pastor, uh, I was really, like, convicted after that, you know. And I said back, well, I'm glad you had 30 minutes of that because I've had a whole week <laughs> of sitting with this passage. Um, I would encourage that, actually, in you this week. Take this with you. Read it every day. What is it that has afflicted you from... Your youth, it's a great question, and and, and frankly, the fact that one's youth uh, shows up here means this psalmist is very much talking to y'all, right? And there is something that happens in one's youth. One becomes awakened to certain things in one's own life. There, I I do believe that there are certain uh, sins that each of us wrestle with that uh, another wouldn't and does not. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something I don't always do, but, but kind of just read through a, a few possibilities uh, of what it might be that was awakened in your youth that hasn't stopped, that for some reason or another has just kind of continued year after year in your life. Maybe it's because it's a personality quirk. Frankly, oftentimes the sin in our life, there's like a flip side to it. It is somehow close to our strength. Or to say it differently, uh, our virtues in life are often connected to our vices, right? And there's kind of this back and forth that goes between these. But then there are other things that get awakened in your youth. Perhaps you can imagine what I'm thinking of. Uh, that may not have a virtue connected to them. And so what is it? What's your answer? What has greatly afflicted you from your youth that you just can't seem to shake? Is it a judgmentalism or a negative spirit? For whatever reason, it just sticks with you. You can't seem to let go of that. Is it envy? Envy. You've always looked at others and, and needed what, what they have, and it just doesn't matter how much you have in, of yourself. There's always someone who has something else, and, and there's the need to judge yourself against others. Is it uh, people-pleasing? Is it lust? Is it a quick temper? Maybe it's actually not something you do, but something you don't do. Maybe it's just a general malaise. And when you see something that needs to be done, 
you just kind of shrink back and you say, I'm sure someone will do that. Maybe it's dissension. I think there are some among us who take a strange pleasure in creating havoc or chaos. And maybe somewhere along the way you liked doing that. Perhaps it's addiction. And there are lots of addictions out there. Jealousy. Lies, deceit, fear. That's a big one around here. (laughs) I'm convinced that most people who live near Washington, D.C. operate out of a, uh, a place of fear on regular occasion. Anxiety, another big one around here. Anxiety, shame, shame. Uh, or maybe it's pride. Pride's a big one, but I'm thinking specifically of a certain kind of pride that puts on a a mask to hide the shell that's inside, the emptiness or the self-doubt that exists somewhere in there. That's just my short list. I'm going to stop now because it could go on for a while, one, and... And two, it's getting uncomfortable. But that's good. I I want you to keep thinking. What is it for you? And my guess is, my guess is it's multiples, right? It's probably not just one. I know what mine are. And I'm not going to say them out loud. Uh, one commentator said that uh, of Psalm 129 that this passage is about a scarred survivor. A scarred survivor was kind of the nice tagline. Uh, and in a way, I think it describes all of us to one degree or another. The only question is how deep are the scars and how badly have you been wounded? And what have you done with those wounds? Uh, Has it caused you to wound others? Or has somehow the wounding of you been transformed in a way that allows you to have compassion or empathy, reach out to others? Continuing on, verse 2, again, the psalmist repeats, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, And then he says so nicely, yet they have not prevailed against me. They have not prevailed against me. And uh, I, I love this. It's this kind of shot of hope in the darkness. It's the statement that, okay, they have won some battles, but I know that they're not going to win the war. It's what Beth said, right? I know how this all ends. I know that the good guy wins. They have beat me up. They have afflicted me. But they will not prevail. They will not prevail. But then he gets back to the hard stuff. And in verse 3... Uh, He gets a little graphic, if I'm being honest. Uh, The metaphor is 
It's a tough one. The flowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. And the image that comes to my mind is one of, well, at least movies that I've seen of the American slave trade in which um, people were whipped and bruised and battered and backs scarred and in which the plowers plowed these furrows into the back of someone. And again, what is it that's doing this? Who is this enemy? You could say it's a flesh and blood person, but that's not where I want to go this morning. I assure you, whatever those things you conjured up, whatever those sins that have beset you for too long, whatever arose in your youth and continues through your adulthood, they have made marks on you. They have made deep furrows, not just on your back, but on your soul. And they have changed you. And they have warped you. And this is not good. This is deeply, deeply bad. The slave metaphor continues here, though. And, uh, and the passage goes on. And it says that the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. And if I can just pause for one second and explain to you what I think is meant by that phrase. It means that whatever testament you're in, old or new, right, uh, that God keeps his promises. And that in the Old Testament, the promises of salvation as well, uh, and in the New Testament, of salvation as well. And, and in both cases, what we have here is that the Lord, well, the Lord keeps his promises, and he will save you from whatever it is that's happening in your life. And so whatever this is, whatever these plowers are plowing and making these furrows into your soul, the Lord is righteous. He keeps his promises, and he can and he will save. And the psalmist then says that he has cut the cords of the wicked. And here again, this, this slave metaphor, and the idea of the cords here is one of bondage, one, one of being enslaved to something. Somebody has put chains around your ankles and your arms and has kept you from being the person you're supposed to be. And I would suggest to you, your sin has done this. And the good news is this. The title of the sermon is Victory in Jesus, right? I promise it will get to that, right? We'll get there. There is victory here. Even in Psalm 120, I kept reading through this all week. And I kept saying, this is the gospel in a nutshell in the Old Testament here in one little song. Right? It's a I was astonished by it. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I, I was. 
the beauty of the freedom that is offered in this passage. That the Lord is righteous and he has cut us free from that which keeps us in bondage. If that's not part of your sense of the good news in the New Testament, then I, I don't know that you know you understand what's happening there. And he goes on. And uh, there's kind of a turn that happens at this point, and it's going to need a little bit of an explanation because you might get confused. It says, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Zion, of course, is Jerusalem. It's the holy place that we're all heading toward. Uh, you could insert here all who hate God. May, may they be put to shame. But again, the enemy is not flesh and blood, folks. It is that sin in your life. It is that darkness. It's the powers of darkness. It's the authorities. It's death itself. May all who hate God be put to shame and turned backward. May you turn your back on those things which have put you in bondage. And let them be like the grass on the hilltops, sorry, the grass on the, the housetops. Let them be like grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arm. If I can just kind of translate all that for me, for you. You, uh, you take uh, the seeds of the grass, or in this case it's probably wheat or something that wants to grow up and, and needs to be cut down and, and pulled together. And if you, you throw those seeds on a housetop, well, there's no soil to let it get down into, right? And it just, and it grows up and it, and it dies, which is what's supposed to happen to the sin in our life to those things that, that shouldn't be there. And that's what he's saying should be the case here as well. Let the powers of darkness in our lives be like the grass on housetops that have no soil to grow in, that are not watered, that are not taken care of, that are not given free reign to do whatever they want. And whatever you do, do not plant those same seeds in your gardens. And do not plant those seeds in soil where it can grow. And do not allow sunshine on it and rain. And do not, and here again, I, I, I think of our youth, do not let them grow up over time. Because it's a whole lot easier to deal with these things now at age 18 than it is at age 40 or at age 60, God forbid, age 80. And then he, he finishes this way. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessings of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And here again, it's a little confusing, uh, but I'll just simply say it this way. God forbid the person who says, 
who looks at whatever darkness is within you and says, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Have at it, right? The Lord's blessing upon that. that it's, a, it's all good, right? And he's saying, no, do not let anyone do that to you. Do not allow anyone to have that sort of influence in your life. And we as a church, we should not be those sorts of people to one another. There's a quote from uh, Augustine's Confessions, the end of book six. I was listening to a podcast this week. Uh, it came up. I really liked the quote. It has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning. So you get the enjoyment of me reading to you uh, a, a quote from the Confessions uh, and of Book Six. Uh, it's a new translation, though, and the woman who uh, translated it kind of updated it for modern uh, parlance, uh, which is not an updated word itself. But um, I'm going to read it to you. Augustine, living in the fourth century, but he's a human just like you and me. He says, oh, the twisted roads I walked. Woe to my outrageous soul that hoped for something better if it withdrew from you, God. I was hoping for something better by withdrawing from God, by allowing those powers of darkness within me, I thought, you know, maybe if I walk those twisted roads, that will get me where I want to go. And Augustine says, woe to my outrageous soul. And then he goes on and says, the soul rolls back and forth onto its back, onto one side, and then onto another, onto its stomach, but every surface is hard and you, God, you're the only rest. But look, but look, good news, he says. You're here, freeing us from our unhappy wandering, setting us firmly on your track, comforting us and saying, run the race. I'll carry you. I'll carry you to the clear end. And even at the end, I'll carry you. I love that. Again, this sermon is titled Victory in Jesus because we know where all of this is headed. But we also know the power that is at our disposal if sometimes we don't choose to take advantage of it. So the question that needs to be asked at this point is from verse 4, if the Lord is righteous, and he is, and if the Lord has indeed cut the bonds and the cords of the wicked, how? How does this work? And the answer is simple. It's the old Sunday school answer, right? It's the one Beth kept looking for, and for some reason the kids wouldn't say, Jesus, Jesus, right? And if you turn, again, classic passage here, Romans 7, we find this. We find Paul, who, um, I, don't, 
I don't know if you realize just what a, uh, a psychological savant <laughs> uh, St. Paul was. Uh, he understood the soul and the human psyche in a way that most ancients really did not. And the passage I'm about to read to you is a prime example of this, where Paul understands what the, the, the sin that he continues to wrestle with. And he, he says this, For I delight in the law of God, he says, in my inner being, my very inner being. It delights in the law of God. I know what's right. And then he says, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he recognizes the very place in which he is and the person he is. He says, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I'm somebody who wants to do this one thing, but I, I keep doing this other thing. Or in another place he says, I, I don't want to do this, but I do it. Or I want to do it, but I don't do it. The sins of omission, the sins of commission, he says them all, right? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, well, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And that ends chapter 7. And there's this big gap that shouldn't exist in your Bible because Paul didn't put chapters in there <laughs> because the next verse is really important. And he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. And here's the slave metaphor again, the bondage metaphor the spirit, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and it sets you free from death. Our two greatest enemies, sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So how do we cut the cords? The answer is simple. Jesus. This is why he came. This is what the death on the cross achieves. This is the purpose of it all. This is what the resurrection is for. The cutting of the bondage of our sin. The destruction of death. We find it back in Isaiah. And in Isaiah, there's these servant songs, and I'll very quickly read them for you, two of them anyway. One is in Psalm 50, 4 to 6, and it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. And here you should imagine Jesus saying these words. The Lord God has given me the tongue of one who is taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. And we come as people who are weary needing sustenance, 
And it is the word of Christ that gives us this. And he goes on in verse 5, says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, and I turned not backward. I can't say that. I don't think you can either. But Jesus most certainly can. And he says, I gave my back to those who strike. And there it is. It's that same metaphor of the back being struck, of the furrows on the back. And here Jesus plays the role of the one in Psalm 129, the role that we play regularly. He's the one, however, who gets struck. He is imprisoned. He is made a slave. And it is through his suffering that our freedom is secured. And then in Isaiah 53, it goes on, another servant song in which you should hear Jesus speaking these words. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Again, the striking smitten by God and afflicted. There's that word, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. All, and I mean all, and they mean all, and Jesus means all. We, like sheep, have gone astray. And we have turned. And and it says, everyone has turned. We have turned. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on himself the iniquity of us all. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. If you're going to find the gospel in the Old Testament, it's there. Isaiah 53. I mean, that's it. But I'll say this. There's a danger in the answer Jesus. And, and I know I'm not supposed to say that from the pulpit. But the danger comes not from the answer Jesus. It comes from the culture that we live in that says individualism is the way to go. And it says that uh, me and Jesus alone, we're going to figure this out. And so I would suggest to you that that is incredibly dangerous. That if we're going to cut the cords of our bondage, me and Jesus alone is not the way forward. We want others involved. We need friends. You need friends. Friends you can speak to openly, honestly, vulnerably. I said it this, Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and, uh, and I meant it then, and I'll, I'll now say it publicly here. We do confession. We do silent confession. Jeff offered it this morning, which is great. Uh, and I think we need that on a regular basis in our lives. But you also need somebody in your life that you can speak to. So, somebody you can go to and say, this, this is what's happening in my life. And you need to know. I need, I need some other human to know that this is what's happening. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to ask me about it. I need to process it with you. Mentors, finding someone who's older or at least wiser than you, somebody who maybe is just a few steps ahead, someone to act as a guide through life's difficulties, and I assure you, there will be difficulties in life. Someone who's safe, someone who will not approach you with judgmentalism, but will offer you empathy, 
but not leave you there in that, but guide you out of it. Those are the kinds of mentors and friends that we need. Someone who will lead us down the paths of righteousness. Someone to lead us on those ancient ways, the good ways that lead to rest and peace. If you're married, perhaps this is your spouse, but you probably need more people in your life than that. But your spouse can be an incredibly important teammate in your life on this life's journey. And frankly, they can probably see all of the things you need to see about yourself far ahead of when you've seen it. If you just are willing to trust them that they know what they're talking about when they point something out to you. If you have children, I've started to learn that your children can see these things too. And lastly, I'd say our church. I want us to be a church like this. What if we were a church like this, where there was like an openness and a vulnerability, a safe place to come, to, 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 to not just leave ourselves uh, in our, quote, authenticity, uh, where we say, well, this is who I am and I'm staying that way, but instead say, this is who I am and I don't want to be that person. I'm ready to be this person and I need some people to walk with me. And I, I, and I need to walk out of that and into a new life. I need to find victory in Jesus. As I said, uh, the, uh, the sermon today is, is uh, not necessarily one that uh, I, I talk a lot about. I, I don't do uh, the whole sin and uh, conviction thing well. Uh, it's not my gig, uh, typically. Um, but when I have a passage like this before me, uh, I can't not do that. I needed to hear it this week. And so because I needed to hear it this week, I thought you might too. My hope is that as we walk together as a church, that victory in Jesus isn't just some sort of slogan that we say or some song that we sing but it's a lived reality, a lived reality that we walk out together as a community of believers. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come this morning and we know, God, that you are a merciful, forgiving, and loving God. And God, we need that. Sometimes perhaps we forget giving you are and how much forgiveness we need. God, in moments like this, we bring ourselves before you again. And we say that enough is enough. We're ready to turn from our old ways and become somebody else. To walk that path of righteousness. To find the ancient path. To walk the path toward the good life a life that leads to rest, a rest that can be only be found in you. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, let's stand to sing together. We indeed will sing victory in Jesus. Uh, if God's stirring you uh, or uh, is laying something on your heart, I'm always happy to speak to you uh, after the fact or if you want to come down uh, and make the walk down the aisle. 
I'm okay with that too. We don't do the walking of the aisle much in this church, but, uh, but I would be more than willing to pray with you, uh, to pray over you. Um, let's sing together now. Thank <clears throat> you.